it's pretty awesome. Uh, stop in and check it out because God moves. And one of the things that happened this past Thursday was that a woman, she happens to be somebody I know, and she needed, she said she had to go for treatments for arthritis. And I said, would you like prayer? She said, yeah, and I just felt like it was Pastor Dick who should pray. I, we all take turns in praying. And he came down and began to pray in the model that they're learning on Wednesdays. And um, little by little, um, the, the, the pain of the arthritis began to go, began to go, began to go. And he went from a 10 all the way down to zero. And she's in a 10 all the time, she said. All the time she's in a 10. And um, oh, t- they, we ask, you know, where is your pain level at? And from zero to 10, where are you at in pain right now? And she said, I'm at a 10 always. And so he said, let's, let's begin to pray and see what God will do. And the really cool thing about it was that afterwards, look out in the parking lot, and there's she and her husband and this other woman that was with her out, out dancing <laughs> and praising the Lord for, for the miracle that God did. And I just want to tell you that your church, this church is much bigger than this, much bigger than what you see. And, and the people who come, they get a touch from the Lord. And they get prayer, they get instruction in reading Bibles. It's really a pretty awesome thing. And thank you for bringing stuff for the Feinstein Drive and for supporting, you know, with your tithes and your offerings because it all is part of the whole big picture. So thanks. Another testimony along that line is um, last night about 9 o'clock, there's a knock on our door, and it was uh, Tracy and Michelle's mom, Mary Ingram, uh, she's got a plaque in her hand, and she says, I got elected Elk of the Year this year. Uh, her husband's been an Elk for, what, 30 years? And he's never gotten elected Elk of the Year. She became an Elk a year ago, and she gets Elk of the Year. Now, on this plaque they give her, they write out why. And it's because they do a big breakfast every week, and she takes the gleanings from that, and serves a hot breakfast on Thursday morning to the people who come to the food pantry so that they're not just waiting for food, they're being fed. And she sets up an atmosphere in there of community. Now, they don't come, but they hear about it. And because of the impact that she has brought from the Elks provision, taken that and ministered from another location in the community to the needs of the poor, they acknowledged that she was the elk, it would be an elkette, an elk of the year, anyways. So that type of stuff is going on in the food pantry. There is a viable witness of the presence of Jesus Christ, both to the individuals who come and are ministered to, but also the community at large, who I got to tell you, they watch what the church is doing, and they make judgments for good or for bad. We're being judged well in the community. Thank you. Yeah. And, and she's, she's a Catholic, by the way. <laughs> yeah, she comes, but she's still a Catholic, so, which I, I think is cool. I wish the monk was still around. Anyways, we're, we're in a, uh, a series right now, and um, some people have asked me why I kind of reiterate what's gone on the weeks before. And the reason is pretty simple. On any given week, there's 20% of you missing. 
Okay, just standard rule of thumb, 20% of you don't show up on any given week. And so if you were here three weeks ago, you heard the start of this series. If you missed last week, you missed the middle of the series. And so I go over that, and you say, why is he saying that again? Yeah, and so it's just for those who, who haven't heard, haven't caught up with it, because Although they're kind of standalone, if you don't have the background, if you don't have the foundation of it, you can sit there and go, what's he talking about? Okay, so, so it's a little bit repetitive, but it's repetitive with a purpose. So here we go. We've been talking about the parables of the kingdom uh, found in Matthew 13, paying particular attention to the act of sowing and the resultant return on investment called reciprocity. Anyone that doesn't know what reciprocity is, just put your hand up. Sorry. All right, so I'll explain it. If you have a tomato seed and you plant it in a little cup, you know, you ever do that at school? All right, and then you bring it home. Oh, well, look, I got a little plant. Mom takes it out in the yard and she takes it out of the cup and puts it in the ground and you wait all summer and this thing's growing. And then you got little tomatoes, you know, flowers and then tomatoes and by the, by the fall, you've got a dozen tomatoes, and inside those dozen tomatoes, you've got thousands, if not tens of thousands, of the same seed that you planted in the cup. That's reciprocity. You sow, you get a return, but you get a multiplied return. It's a principle. You sow to the wind, Hosea says, you reap a whirlwind. You sow a tomato seed, you get a crop back, right? You can sow a tomato seed, you will not get a watermelon. You only get the fruit of the seed that you sow that will produce the seed that's in the fruit of the seed that you sowed. And it goes on and on and on and on. And you apply that to the sowing of your life. The words that you speak hmm, are seeds. The attitude that you have towards other people is seed. The judgments you make or the acceptance that you have, the love that you give, all of it is seed. All of your interaction with other people is sowing into their lives, and you will get a return. Jesus talks about it. Judge not. In whatever manner you judge, you're what? You get judged, right? That's reciprocity, okay? So we've been talking about that. As we're Also, we've been talking about the type of seeds being sown, and we're looking at the Greek because in English, seed just means seed. In the Greek, you've got a whole bunch of different words that seed can be, and it has a total different meaning. So we've been looking at that. We discovered that the seed of the word of the kingdom is sown into the hearts of men by a rima word. A rima uh, is, is the Greek word for word, one of the Greek words for word, and it means a now word, a, a current word. It a rima word as the seed of the kingdom is I come to you and I tell you the gospel of Jesus Christ. I tell you that by the knowledge that I have. I'm giving you a rima word. It's information. Okay, that's a rima word. Okay? So that's how you sow the seed of the kingdom, through a, through a word of preaching. And when, it, when and if, when and if it germinates, because Jesus talked about four different soils the seed can hit, only one of them takes, right? 
So there's no guarantee if you preach the gospel that you're going to get good fruit. It has to do with the soil of the heart. So when and if it germinates in the heart of the hearer, it becomes a logos word. A logos is another Greek word for word, and it means the eternal word of God. It is also the word for Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is the logos, the eternal expression of God to, to humanity. Okay, so we speak the gospel, someone receives it, it germinates in their heart, it becomes the logos, and Christ in them manifests as the hope of glory. Okay? And the, uh, the seed that provided there at that point when that rhema word becomes the logos, it produces a seed within the person called a spiro. A spiro. A spiro seed is seed that is cultivated specifically for the purpose of sowing. So when I got saved, when I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I realized that had taken root in my heart, that it was real, that it was more than just a, a way to get away from the guy who was yakking in my ear, and I realized God was doing something in me. I, the first thing I had to do was tell somebody. You see? When the seed took root in my heart, it became seed for me to sow. The Spiro seed produced seed for sowing in me. I had a testimony. I had a word alive in me so I could sow that. I could begin to go out and sow seed into the lives of other people. Let me tell you what happened to me. I had an encounter with Jesus Christ. He's now my Lord and Savior. My life is turned around, blah, blah, blah. How about you? I've just sown seed. See, that's what the sparrow seed does. When it takes root in your heart, it gives you seed to sow. So a man went out to sow. That's anybody who has sparrow in them can be a sower of the word of the kingdom, a sower of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everyone in this room who, who names the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, inside your heart is a big bag of seed waiting to be sown. Okay? And all you have to do is speak out a rhema word. Let me tell you about what Jesus is doing in my life. You don't have to be a preacher. You just have to be a witness. We also followed the well-done, good and faithful servant remark of Jesus from the faithfulness over a little, which is the spiro, to being given the much of becoming the sperma seed, sown by the Son of Man. And another parable, which are the sons of the kingdom sown into the field of the whole world. So in other words, you receive the gospel in you. You begin to tell people. You begin to sow your seed. Jesus looks down and says, oh, good job, Dick. Then he takes me in his hand, and he scatters me into the whole earth as seed to be sown. And I become a seed to other nations. I become a seed to other people. See, rather than just a word, he's now sowing people, and it's the expansion of his kingdom. The sons of the kingdom are the seed sperma. It's the same word that is used of male sperm. It impregnates, it brings forth life to what receives it. Okay? So, I become a seed that is filled with seeds that can be seeds for other sowers so that they can become sperma to be scattered into other parts of the earth so they can bring forth seed 
to seed other people's hearts so they can become sperma to expand the kingdom. And on and on and on and it goes, and you produce fruit after your own kind. Understand it? Why, you farmers? Mm-hmm. We also touched briefly on the other sower in the parable, which is the enemy who sowed weeds among the wheat. And it is to this point that I want to return this week as we continue in the seed and the weed. So let's start by rereading both the parable and Jesus' explanation of the parable of the weeds of the field. In Matthew 13, 24, it says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also, and the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, bind them up in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So now comes the explanation of the parable in Matthew thirteen thirty-six. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of the kingdom all causes of sin. I I made a lot of emphasis about this last week. I want you to let that statement really resonate with your spirit. God is going to take out all causes of sin. Now, How big is that? How huge is that? You deal with sin in your life, right? All that's going to be pulled out. All all the pain, all the temptation, all the trauma, all the sorrow, everything that causes you to sin is going to be removed. Remember the prophet Isaiah in his description of the age to come? No more sorrow, no more tears, no more weeping, no more pain, right? All of that is going to be removed. All causes of sin vanish. Isn't that good news? I mean, that's worth looking forward to all by itself. All causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So last week, we looked at the sowing of the good seed, the sons and daughters of the kingdom, as the outworking of the Great Commission, as instructionally expressed by Jesus to the disciples in Acts 1.8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, 
and you will be my witnesses. Witnesses, so what is that? That's the seed of the kingdom, right? The word of the kingdom. You will be my witnesses. I'm going to give you Spiro seed. Okay? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And if you remember, we saw in the accounts in the book of Acts that they got off to a great start, right? Multitudes being added daily to the church, signs and wonders happening, fellowship and favor flourishing, so much so that the church got comfortable in Jerusalem and hunkered down there, abandoning the commission to go out to Judea, Samaria, and to the outermost part of the earth. But these are the good seed of the kingdom. They have been faithful in a little. So the sons and daughters of the kingdom are now held in the hand of the Son of Man, and he sows them wherever he chooses in his field. And this is what he does in Acts 8.1. And Saul approved of his, that's Stephen's execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church where? In Jerusalem. You know why it was against the church in Jerusalem? It was the only place they were. That was the church. They should have been in Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth, but they were hunkered down. Things were good in Jerusalem. And they were scattered. They were scattered. Where? I love this, right? Throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. I said this last week. I want to say it again. It's better to be scattered through obedience then through comfort. We also saw the immediate fruitfulness of this scattering as Philip went down to Samaria and began to sow the seed of the word of the kingdom in Acts 8.5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him, there's the word of the kingdom, and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of the many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city, much joy in the city. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. As they were scattered to where they should have been, the fruitfulness of the kingdom is immediately the evidence of it is a whole city that was once in bondage, overridden with demonic manifestations, is now set free and experiencing the joy of the Holy Spirit out in the parking lot, dancing rather than in here crippled. It was this part of our conversation last week comes out of the fact that there is another sower who is active in the parable, an enemy who sows dizanion, darnel, or false grain, what we call tares. These are look-alike counterfeits that bear no fruit and will not bend with the wind of God's movement. They stand rigidly opposed to the things of God and rigidly opposed to your fruitfulness. In the telling of the parable of the seeds and the weeds, Jesus makes a statement that he does not reference in his explanation. 
uh, and so it's often overlooked. It is because of this statement that I emphasize the comfort factor in the Church of Jerusalem as being a stall of God's kingdom plan and an act of disobedience by the church. Today I want to look a little deeper at a spiritual dynamic that often overtakes the church as well as individual sons and daughters of the kingdom, the good seed, to our detriment. In Matthew 13, 24, the beginning of the explanation of the parable, he says, but he put another parable, no, of the parable, I'm sorry, put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Now here it is. But while his men were sleeping, not the owner of the field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Listen, the devil doesn't have to hang out and harass the church. He doesn't need to spend all his time following you around, trying to sabotage your life. He just needs to find you sleeping. Slumbering, not paying attention, not diligent, unalert with our guard down. Jesus mentions this because he full well knows the consequences of being found asleep at your watch. In Matthew 26, 36, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled, and he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Remain here. Stay alert. Keep your eyes open. Be attentive. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. Said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. What is temptation? It's the weed planted in your mind by the enemy that leads you to sin. While they were sleeping, Jesus said, Peter, don't sleep. Don't sleep. You'll get caught up in temptation. The weed planter is prowling around. You're in jeopardy. Stay awake. Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. The hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. While he was still speaking, Judas came. Now, what if they had been wide awake? What if he didn't have to stop and talk to them? What if he didn't have to rouse them from their slumber? Could be that he could have exited 
before Judas came, while he was still speaking, while he was still trying to wake them up, while he was still trying to get them roused from their slumber, Judas came. One of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. Peter knew the consequences of sleeping on the job. He thought, he even stated, that if everyone else had abandoned Jesus, he would not, even if it meant his death. But the devil caught him sleeping, didn't he? Peter was awakened to the reality of the tears of doubt that had been sown in his heart, and three times he denied he even knew who Jesus was. So based on first-hand experience, he issues a warning, an admonition for us today. In 1 Peter 5.8, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful, stay awake, stay alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Paul, as he was preparing to leave Ephesus, to return to Jerusalem and certain martyrdom, gives his final admonition to the elders of the church he planted there with four significant points related to our focus. See if you can pick them out as I read this in Acts 20, 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. First thing he says is pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock. Stay awake. Second, he says, wolves will come among you. And from among you, tears will be planted by the enemy, both from the outside and from the inside of the camp. There is danger. You've got to remain alert. Three is the word of his grace, the seed of the word of the kingdom, never loses its potency. When you receive the word of the kingdom as seed in your heart and begin to sow it, it produces fruit that produces seed, that produces fruit, that produces seed. And for as long as you're serving him in this world, the power of the seed of the kingdom will be effective to your salvation. The word of his grace that Paul watered with his own tears for three years. And finally, he says, be alert, be alert. So here's what I'm saying. There's going to be tears, period. Take it for granted. Jesus knew that Judas was a tear. No one else seemed to recognize it. Even when Jesus pointed it out at the Last Supper, they missed it. Why? Because their bellies were full. They were celebrating with friends. 
being ministered to and taught by Jesus. Even uh, He even washed their feet and prayed for them, including Judas. Remember, it says they reclined at dinner. And by the time they reached the garden, they could not even stay awake for an hour. They were so comfortable. It can get comfortable in church with Jesus. In fellowship, singing songs, eating snacks together, sharing our lives and feeling blessed, and the enemy zips through our comfort zone and plants tears, and we don't even understand how things suddenly start unraveling so quickly and so intensely. We're lulled into a state of slumber. We lose sight of wisdom's counsel. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flocks. Be watchful for one another. Guard my back, will you? Will you watch my back? I'll watch yours. I'll look out for your back. I'll pray for you. Martha and I meet three mornings a week specifically to pray for all of you. We're on alert. We're being watchful for the church of Jesus Christ. We have to. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Why the double admonition? Because what can happen corporately can also happen individually. The enemy can plant tears in your heart. An offense, an opinion, pride or superiority, dissatisfaction, unforgiveness, an oath or a vow, even stubbornness and rebellion. And we find ourselves standing in opposition to what we once held as precious. We can become judgmental, rigid, and unteachable, becoming tear-like in our hearts and minds. And this is different than being a tear. Notice that Jesus followed his own parable regarding Judas. So the servant said to him, then do, we want, do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. Jesus, knowing who Judas was and what he would do, made no attempt to remove him or correct him. And I think it's interesting that at Gethsemane, when, when Judas is finally exposed as a tear, the scripture says that, all his disciples scattered. They all got uprooted. They all ran. They all hid. Exactly what Jesus predicted would happen happen when you root up a tear. You take wheat up with it. We need to be careful in the church about how we handle each other, with our shortcomings, with our offenses. Forgive one another quickly. Matter of fact, there is a distinct difference between the way that Jesus deals with the wheat that are acting tear-like and the tears who are actually among the disciples. I'll give you some instances. First is Peter, who despite his many quirks and failures was nonetheless wheat. Here Jesus warning and encouragement to Peter in Luke twenty-two thirty-one. It says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. 
I wouldn't want that tag. That he might sift you like what? Might sift you like what you are, wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. He didn't say chafe, he didn't say tears, but wheat. Because Peter was weak. Well, watch how Jesus handles Peter when he acts like a tear. In Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Now, (laughs) ouch, right? Ouch. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. It would appear that Jesus is calling Peter Satan. But I think, having done a lot of deliverance ministry, you know, I, I know how this works. You're looking at the person, but you're really looking right through them, and you're addressing the demonic presence. If you were an observer, you'd say, why is he saying those things to that guy? No, I'm not. I don't think Jesus was addressing Peter. I think he was addressing Satan, who was putting tears in Peter's heart. Get behind me, Satan. You see a similar response with James and John in Luke 9.52. And he sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was going towards Jerusalem. And seeing his disciples, James and John, said, Lord, do you desire that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even like Elijah did? Oh, that's a good idea. Firebomb the village, right? (laughs) Sounds like the kingdom way. Look at what he does. But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know of what spirit you are. Of what spirit you are. An enemy is at work trying to plant tares in your life and in your perception of how to handle opposition. Now watch Jesus respond to Judas in John 12, 4. But Judas is scary. This is the uh, story of the woman who comes with the alabaster bottle and breaks it and pours the ointment on Jesus. And this is Judas's response. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said, leave her alone. There's no rebuke. There's no discipline. Just, Judas, just leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Why the low-level response? Because Judas is just a tear 
acting just like a tear acts. And if Jesus tries to uproot him, he will damage the wheat. The writer of the book of Hebrews, I think, states it the best in Hebrews 12, 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, if you are left without discipline, if you're Judas, if you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons, you're a tear. That is why Jesus didn't address it. Wheat bends with the blowing wind. Tears stand in rigid resistance. Wheat changes with the discipline. Tears stand in rigid resistance to discipline. We all have tears sown in our hearts. We all act tear-like sometimes, don't we? But if we're truly wheat, sperma, seeds of the Son of Man, then there is a remedy. And Ezekiel prophesied it in Ezekiel 36. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. And I will summon the grain. I will summon the grain. I will summon the seed and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. And I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. I love the heart of David as he expressed the discovery and handled the obvious that in his heart that was hard after God tears had taken root. Nathan the prophet came and exposed his sin. David cries out in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Are you willing? Will you bend if the wind of God blows across the fields of your heart? Holy Spirit, come. Come and begin to blow upon us, O God. Let us know the wind of your examination of our hearts and our thoughts. 
Lord, whatever stands rigid and opposed to your discipline, root it out, root it out. We can't do it, Lord. We only damage one another. But you, you're the Lord of the harvest. We want to be fruitful, seed-bearing, seed-producing, seed-scattering. Sons of the kingdom, daughters of the kingdom. Lord, we acknowledge we have an enemy. Sometimes it's ourselves. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and show us if there be any tears in us. Stubbornness, unforgiveness, oh God. Lord, if we are wounded and standing in opinion against others. Lord, if we have found ourselves to be unteachable, Lord, as a defense against being exposed, Lord, like we think we're going to get raked over the coals when you just want to discipline us out of love, oh God. Father, take those tears out of our minds and our hearts today. The life of Christ in us. Walk through the fields of our life, oh God. Scatter more good seed, more good seed, more good seed, oh God. I'm going to ask you to all stand with me. I'm going to pray a simple prayer of, of surrender and acknowledgement. See, because on, on the other side of discipline, the flip side of that coin is the sons and daughters of the kingdom have the great option of simple repentance. You don't have to be stubborn, and you may not have to be disciplined. If you'll simply repent, you'll move the heart of God to walk through the field of your life. So, Father, I as one acknowledge before you, oh God, that the enemy has passed through many times. As I've slumbered, as I've slept, oh God, as I've not uh, been aware, as I've failed in my watch. Tears have been planted in wounds. Opinions, oh God, have sprung up to cause rigidness and stubbornness in my heart, oh God. Points of view have taken over your word and made it null and void in the deeper places of my life. Lord, this is unfruitful living. And you are worthy of so much more. So much more, God. You sowed your whole life into us. They planted you in the ground, and you sprung up in newness of life so that we could have it. We choose other. So, Lord, I for one say, Holy Spirit, have your way. Discipline, or correct, or adjust, or root up, or tear down, or build up. Lord, I yield to your will, whatever the cost. Because I know, oh God, you're a loving God. So come, Holy Spirit.
do as you will. For your kingdom, for your kingdom, for the glory of the name of Jesus. If that's your heart today, just say amen. We're going to be up here if you need prayer, if you need to go a little deeper with that. Love to pray with you and minister to that. Otherwise, the Lord bless you and, and keep you, and we'll see you next week for a celebration as we sing Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Go in peace.